Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm very excited about getting back into the study of the book of Genesis. I've been loving this. We've been at this for almost a year with uh, my friend David Wheaton, and we are already into Genesis 41 to 43. So the end is in sight. I hope that we're going to pick up another book after that. Maybe we'll just move on to Exodus after that, but we're having a great time. David, of course, is the host of the Christian Worldview. You can over always go to the thechristianworldview.org to learn more about David. You should hear his podcast. They're awesome. I just got done listening to his most recent one, and it is excellent. His content, his guests are always exceptional. So head over to thechristianworldview.org. He's also an author and also a former professional tennis player, and I've admired his uh, athletic ability for as long as I can remember. But to God be the glory. David, welcome. Yes, thank you to having me on the program today. It is the athletic ability is waning a little bit, Bill. <laughs> you know, as you get older, you, you lose yeah. those things. It's amazing how that happens. It's no fun, is it? No, it's not. It's, yeah. it, it, it proves the Word of God is true, that we're, we're getting older, our body is corrupted, it's affected by the, the fall, and it's it certainly uh, became very uh, very real as you, as you get above 50. Yeah. Now your son, is he put the tennis racket in his hand already? A little bit. Yeah, yeah he likes a few sports. He's going to be playing a little bit tennis. He wasn't playing as much as I was when I was his age, but <laughs> he likes to swim and cross-country ski, and yeah. so uh, he loves to be outdoors. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to dig back into our study on Genesis, and it is a book that is most relevant for today. We've been saying that ever since we started. So maybe we can start with some of the uh, important points from the last time we chatted. Yeah, we went over Genesis 41 through 43, and we're in the middle of this this chunk of Genesis toward the end of the book. That's really where Joseph, uh, the the favorite son of Jacob, who is the third patriarch, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob, and Jacob's favorite son was Joseph. And we were at the point in the story where Joseph has been sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt, you know, nice brothers. He gets down there. Something bad happens to him. But then, again, God is with this young man all the time. He goes from being enslaved in Egypt to becoming the head of the house he gets sold into, who happens to be Pharaoh's captain of the guard, Potiphar. So he goes from slavery to head of that house. Then he gets falsely accused of raping Potiphar's wife. Again, gets thrown into jail. Something bad happens to him, and all of a sudden he becomes the head of the jail. He's always put in leadership positions because he has such strong character. And then he goes from being in jail uh, to God giving him the ability to interpret um, the chief baker and the chief cupbearer's dreams who were in jail because Pharaoh was upset at them. He interprets their dreams. One of them gets out of jail. The other one gets um, gets executed as as Jacob or as Joseph had interpreted his dream. And finally, to conclude, um, Pharaoh himself has some dreams, and the 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 the, the chief. Uh, uh, cu- uh, cupbearer remembers the fact that, oh, this this man in prison interpreted my dream. Maybe he can interpret your dream, Pharaoh. Well, they bring Joseph out. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams, and Pharaoh realizes that this is not just some 
typical guy off the street here. This is someone who has incredible wisdom that God has given to him. And um, Joseph interprets those dreams, saying there's going to be seven years of famine in, in, in Egypt, and there's going to be uh, far, sorry, there's going to be seven years of plenty in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. And he appoints Joseph to be the overseer of the entire land, basically second in command um, over the, the nation of Egypt. And meanwhile, back in Canaan, where Joseph is from, the, his family's feeling the effects of this, of this famine. They don't know what to do. They're standing around staring at each other. It says in the scripture, the brothers don't, his brothers don't know what to do. They have no idea what's happened to Joseph. And so that's where the story is. The brothers come down uh, into Egypt. They see Joseph, but obviously do not recognize him. That's 20 years later now. They wouldn't recognize the, the second in command of being of Egypt as being their brother. And so instead of punishing his brothers, taking revenge on them for, for selling them into slavery, Joseph doesn't reveal himself right away, but he begins these tests of his brothers to see if they've changed, to see if they've repented, perhaps to be used as God's agent of sanctification in their life. And what unfolds is just an amazing story with Joseph ultimately revealing himself to his brothers. That's uh, fascinating. Beautifully set stage, David. Let's move on. What did happen when the brothers came? Yeah, so the first time they came, they, they come down and Joseph accuses them of being spies. Again, he's testing them. They go, no, 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 we're not spies. We're, we're honest men. And as they leave with the, the grain they've bought, all the grain is in their sacks. They're heading back home to the land of Canaan to their father. And they find that the money that was supposed to be spent on the grain is still in their sacks. And so they come home to their father and they're, they're really nervous about this. You know, we met this man and they, you know, it's our brother. We didn't know it, <laughs> uh, but, you know, we have all this money. And so the father gets nervous, too. Like, what's going to happen? Well, eventually they run out of food and they have to go back to Egypt a second time. And so when they come back into Egypt a second time now, they come again before Joseph, and all the brothers bow down to him. Now, you remember that from previous conversations, that when Joseph was a teenager, he was telling his older brothers, I had this dream that everyone's going to be bowing down to me. Not the thing to say to your older brothers, but it didn't go well. anyway, it, 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 it came true. Right. And this time when they came back, Joseph had said, to prove you aren't, you aren't spies, I want you to bring back the one brother that didn't come down the first time, which was Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. That was his actual real brother. The other ones were half-brothers. They had different mothers. But Benjamin was Joseph's half-brother. And so when they brought him back down, it just it's very touching to read this in Genesis chapter 43. And Joseph lifted his eyes and saw his younger brother, Benjamin, his mother's son. Now, his mother's gone at this point. She's dead now. And he said— is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? He said that to his brothers. And he said, may God be gracious to you, my son. And then verse 30, Joseph hurried out, for he was deeply stirred over seeing his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and he wept there. Then hmm. he washed his face and came out and he controlled himself, serve the meal. And, you know, you can just see this a very touching scene of, of Joseph seeing his younger brother, who he hasn't seen in 20 years. Uh, he, he ju It's just an amazing, touching scene. And, and lots of clues were being dropped uh, up until this point. I mean, the, the, the treatment of the brothers, the references to God by Joseph and his, his servants, the stewards saying that he actually had the brother's money, the seating arrangement at lunch, they were all arranged in actual birth order. I mean, how would anyone know this? But the brothers could not see any of it because they were so nervous. All their 
there are sensitive spots in life were being touched because of this guilty conscience they had over selling their brother Joseph so many years ago into slavery in Egypt. That whole picture, David, is just amazing. And I think about Joseph and his breakdown and the the joy and the impact of seeing Benjamin. The whole thing is it's so yeah, powerful. It's, it is. I mean, think about it again. Joseph was second in command of Egypt. Yeah. He could do whatever he wanted to his brothers. He mm-hmm. could have justly had them accuse him of spies, put them in jail, had them executed. Remember, he could have taken revenge. He could have been very vengeful for what they did to him. He wasn't that way. Yeah. And that's a great there's there's a great relevance for us today when someone hurts us so deeply, you know, the easy thing to do is to want to lash out and to exact punishment, exact revenge. He didn't do that. Yeah. yeah, he put them through some tests. No no question about it. He got his brother. He wanted to see whether his brother was still alive, and he got to see his younger brother. And the sensitivity, as you mentioned, in seeing his brother, he just couldn't take it. He had to rush out of the room. Yeah. And that's going to happen again when he reveals himself to his brothers. Wow. So are the brothers finally broken? Yeah, well, the, the scenario repeats itself again, where the brothers go on the journey back to Canaan with the grain in their sacks, and this time again, the money is put back in their sacks. Like, what is going on here? How is this? We give that we pay for it, and the money's back in our wallets. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so there's that, but this time something even more uh, serious happens. That Joseph had had his silver cup, which was the cup that he drank out of this cup of authority, of being the second in command was put in one of their sacks. And I bet you can't guess which brother's sack it was in. It was in Benjamin's sack. And so when they went away, uh, Joseph sends his steward after them and says, you know, why have you repaid evil for good? Uh, Why have you stolen my master's cup? And the brother said, well, what are you talking about? We haven't done anything. What do do you mean? And he says, "Whoever, whoever, whoever is found to have this cup, let him be killed. They make this rash vow. There's no way we would do something like this. Well, they go through all the brother's sacks, starting with the oldest to the youngest, and there, lo and behold, there was the cup in Benjamin's stack or, or sack. So you can imagine, I mean, the brothers at this point were, were tearing their clothes. They come back. Uh, Joseph's brother Judah says, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? And how can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves both we and the one in whom possession of the cup has been found. In other words, they're offering to be slaves. And, you know, this is the old beware your sin will find you out moment. Oh, is it I mean, ever? The, the, the brothers realize they have a guilty conscience over they, what, what they did to Joseph, not knowing that they're actually dealing with Joseph. And this is actually, I think, where Joseph is really trying to bring them to a point of brokenness and repentance and, and change in their lives. And it's it's interesting because I think— as impervious as we think we can be in life, uh, Bill, um, you know, we can think we have things going for us. We can get financially secure. We can be in the right kind of relationships with family and so forth. God still knows how to tweak or touch our most sensitive spots so we don't become self-reliant, so we don't become proud and so forth. And that's what he's doing with, with these brothers. He's touching these sensitive spots of them to bring them to himself. And finally, there's another touching segment here where they come back now from their journey. You know, they, they go part way and they have to come back. They're going to have to be like, okay, we're, we're going to be slaves to you. We, we didn't steal your cup, but obviously we did. What can we say? And, and, and Joseph says to them, no, you're not all going to be slaves. 
just Benjamin's going to have to stay here to be my slave. Now, the rest of the brothers at this point are completely, totally destroyed because they realize their own father back in Canaan's going to die if they don't bring Benjamin back with him. He was so afraid of having to send Benjamin that he would be lost like Joseph, you know, supposedly was lost. They, they just they knew that this would do in their father and his brother Judah just makes this appeal. He says, for how shall I go up to my father if the lad Benjamin is not with me for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father. So he makes this very emotional appeal. And But this is the end of the line here. God has humbled the brothers. They are they're at the point of no return. They are broken. They are now prepared to turn to God. And this is really this brokenness over their sin. And they're just I can't go anywhere. I can't. I'm in a box. I cannot get out of it. Is really the all-important pl- place for anyone to, to be to be saved. Bill, mm-hmm. it says in Ephesians two, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, until you realize, until anyone realizes that I'm a sinner, I have no way out. My, I, I can't improve myself. I can't become right with God by trying to climb the spiritual ladder by doing good works. Really, I can only throw myself at God's mercy and say I'm a sinner. I just put my trust in who your son is, Jesus Christ, and what he did for me on the cross, dying and then rising from the dead victoriously over it. I put my trust in all only, all and only in him and nothing in myself. This is actually a good place to be. And this is yeah. why this is so relevant. The brothers were at a good place now because they were spiritually broken. Mm. David Wheaton is my guest for continuing our uh, teaching on the book of Genesis, which is so relevant for today. We'll take a very short break and be right back in our study with David Wheaton. is my guest as we continue our study on Genesis. And if you like drama and suspense and complicated relationships, you definitely have to go back and study the book of Genesis. David, this is such a wonderful study and you make it all come so alive. And I am loving this. So let's go back to Genesis 45. And Mm -hmm. we're now want to discuss when Joseph reveals himself again to his brothers. Yeah, talk about a reveal. This is the, the, the reveal of all reveal. Yeah, I mean, we've, we this has been going on for chapters. I mean, I was just thinking during the break there that, you know, what if we've been going kind of verse by verse through Genesis? We'd probably be about five years in now. So we're we're covering chapters at a time in these interviews. But basically, what is the brother's reaction when Joseph reveals himself? You know, it was after his brother Judah uh, made this emotional appeal to Joseph, saying, you know, look. <laughs> If we, if, we, if we don't bring back my brother Benjamin to, my, to our father, he's going to die, and we, we cannot do that. I mean, it's just to take, take my life instead. He's asking just to you know, do anything you want to me, but let, let Benjamin go. I mean, they're at the point of, of no return. And you, you remember way back many chapters ago, Judah was actually the one that wasn't approving of him being sold into slavery in Egypt. So that's interesting how it was Judah again. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, Christ would come from the line 
of the tribe of Judah as well, too. So interesting uh, future significance to this. But anyway, Judah intercedes. He makes this incredible appeal to Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 45, after Judah's appeal, Joseph, it says, could not control himself before all those who stood before him. And he cried, have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Joseph wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Again, this is not revenge. Uh, Joseph's reaction is not revenge. How could you have done this to me? He's weeping over revealing himself, these touching stories from his brother and his father and his brother uh, Benjamin. Then Joseph said in verse 3 to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed or just in complete and utter abject fear at his presence. <laughs> yeah. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, they still haven't spoken, they can't speak. Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your younger brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now, this is incredible. For God sent me, not you set me into slavery, God sent me before you to preserve life. Hmm. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. And last verse I'll read is verse 8, Genesis 45. Now, therefore, it was not you. He's repeating this over and over again. It was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And, you know, again, Joseph is saying, you did this sinful thing, but it was really God who allowed it for, to work through your sinfulness to bring me to Egypt, to raise me to the head, excuse me, the head of the land, so that to accomplish his purposes. And one of those purposes was going to be to save our family and bring us down here to Egypt. This is this is the 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 big question of God's will versus man's will. You know, it was it was it God's will that Joseph got sold into slavery in Egypt, or was it man's will? In other words, did the brothers do it, or was God doing it? Well, it's something we can't fully understand. God allowed their sinfulness to accomplish his will in order to save Jacob's family. He, God is working in each member involved in this story in the process, including Joseph and Benjamin and Jacob and the brothers and everyone. He's doing his work. Even the life of Pharaoh and all the servants, God is working out things for his glory and our good and even the difficult things that happen in, in life. Nothing in our life is random in this story. It's ordained by God. In this story of, of Joseph and his brothers uh, is really a perfect, perfect uh, example of that. David, it's amazing. Joseph is so f focused on, on following God, and he doesn't even want a little tiny pound of flesh. No. Isn't that amazing? It is no, no. amazing. These are brothers yeah. too. You would think the brothers would have a little bit of a little bit of a grudge there going. I know. And that that's really there's another point of relevance for today is that uh Joseph has such a close intimate relationship with God that he th he thinks as God would want him to think and he acts as God would want him to act. And that's really what should be our goal in life is not to think and live according to our own 
natural desires and impulses, but to be impacted by the Word of God and to let that dictate how we think and what motivates us and how we live. Mm-hmm. I am fascinated that the brothers were in such dismay they couldn't speak. Couldn't speak. They couldn't speak, and actually that, that happens when, when the brothers are finally sent home. Okay, so after this, this revealing, uh, Joseph says, hurry and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph. Okay, now that brings up the obvious question. Jacob thinks Joseph's dead. That's what that's what his sons have told him. Mm-hmm. They've been they've been they've been cultivating this lie over the last twenty years that Joseph was was killed by an animal and here's his coat and he has blood on it. Remember that one like oh, many yeah. chapters ago? Oh, yeah. Well, now they're gonna have to go home and they're gonna have to fess up to their own father. You can imagine what that's gonna be like. And he <laughs> says, Go go tell my father that God has made me Lord of all Egypt and come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land and you shall be near me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds. I will provide for you for there are five more years of famine to come. And he says to his brothers, as he sends them off one final word, do not quarrel on the journey. So, and why did he say that? Well, his brothers were going to have to have a major, major sin to confess to their father. I mean, can you imagine perpetuating this lie for this many years, telling your own father Mm. that one of your brothers had been killed when they knew exactly what happened to him. I mean, this this is really, uh, really incredible. And when, and when they went back up to Canaan and met their father, Jacob, the Bible says in verse 26 of Genesis 45, they told him saying, Joseph is still alive. And indeed he is ruled over all the land of Egypt. I mean, it said the reaction was, but he was stunned for he did not believe them. And it goes on to say, you know, finally he <clears throat> got a hold of himself and said, it is enough, my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So it's just, again, it's just, it just gives you goosebumps and you know, brings tears to your eyes to think about what this must have been like for Jacob to hear that his favorite son Joseph was still alive. He was going to be able to see him go down and leave in Egypt Nothing is said about Jacob's reaction, by the way, either. He Apparently, he forgave his own sons for their heinous sin against him. Mm-hmm. Another good lesson for us. I mean, he, he was forgiving of his sons for this terrible thing they did. And so Genesis 46, the Jacob's family is going to move to Egypt. This is going to fulfill prophecy. This is going to set the stage for the rise of Moses a couple hundred years later and the 10 plagues in Egypt and in the first Passover, which we, which we remember this week with Christ came to be the ultimate Passover lamb that takes away the sins of the world, the exodus out of Egypt, the miracles along the way, the giving of the law, <clears throat> the setting up of the tabernacle worship on the way to the promised land, the conquest of the promised land, and all the types of Christ throughout the whole mm. stages. I mean, this is this is the launching point of all that, and so yeah. it's just it's just amazing. It is truly amazing, and it's so relevant to today, where people will have grudges and and hide sins for even up to twenty years. David, thank you so much for doing the show. Thank you, Bill. You bet. You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. It's the 
All right, I know you have a computer or a smartphone, maybe, maybe not. But if you do, I bet you've got questions like, what is this? Am I, should I be agreeing to this? Should I be clicking the yes? What happens when I get an email that looks suspicious? I don't click on that. You never give your information out. And if you've got a question about cybersecurity, I've got an IT expert on the show right now. His name is Ben Paulson. He's Director of Enterprise Infrastructure and End User Support. That's quite a title. Does it all fit on a business card, Ben? Uh, barely, but we make it work, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on the show. I just want to invite listeners, if you've got a cybersecurity kind of question, something about your phone or your computer, send me the text, 877-933-2484. You know, Ben, I'm thinking about all kinds of questions relative to being online. Let's say, for example, you go on a new website and you want to sign up, so you create a username, and then when you go to type in your password, they give you a suggested password, which looks really complicated. And then my thought is, do you click yes to that password because that's the most secure, or do you say, no, I'll create my own? What do you recommend? You know... Passwords are kind of one of those uh, first lines of defense in many areas, and you know many users, uh, many people have created a lot of bas- bad passwords in the last many many years, and we're starting to understand just how bad our passwords are. So a lot of companies are trying to encourage their users to create strong passwords. So sometimes you see one of those little password o meters mm-hmm. on the sign up page. Or yeah. Sometimes you get the suggested password, and you know there's nothing wrong with those suggested passwords. Um, the the bigger concern or the recommendation is ultimately create a password that's easy to remember. Um, some of the uh, national information security guidance out there is suggesting that people create longer passwords or actually even pass phrases. Ooh, I like that. What would be an example? So a lot of times what you do is instead of having one word, you'll have multiple words strung together. Um and again, it, it just needs to be memorable. Think of maybe like a sentence. What I, what I actually like to tell people is for, for anybody who has young kids or has young grandkids or is around young kids, think about when they were starting to learn how to talk <laughs> and some of the sentences they would spit out. Yeah. And and maybe use one of those. For example, <laughs> my, my four-year-old the other day said, I want new news for Brexit. <laughs> I want frankly, that's, new news for breakfast, for Brexit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I know, I know how to hack into your account now. It's uh, it's it's long. It has multiple misspelled words. It's easy to remember. Uh-huh. Um, and so passwords like that are are generally a lot better. Um, you know, passwords that have meaning to you but aren't aren't easy to guess, aren't easy to break. Okay. Um, so that, take that's take advantage of long passwords. In other words. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And and along with that, you know, I'll just suggest again, um, keeping track of all those passwords is also a, a really critical part of that. Um, I like to use a, a password safe called LastPass or KeePass to keep track of them all. Um, it's a secure way to keep track of them all so you do not writing it down or forgetting it or, or using something that's easy to guess. All right. Okay, Ben, let's say I'm online and I go to a website and something pops up that says you need to accept these cookies. Now, should, mm-hmm. I, should I accept them or should I only accept them if they're providing cold milk? <laughs> if they're providing cold milk, I mean, I generally accept cookies. Oh, that. thank you. Yes, I would too. <laughs> but what am I allowing um, in, and is it smart, and am I putting myself in at risk for ads I may or may not want or information? Do they have access to my information then? 
Sometimes yes and no. You know, the the gist of cybersecurity is it's it's an ongoing balance between risk and convenience. And so cookies are one of those really convenient things. They're little helper files that help websites store information about you while you're browsing. Um, they come into play if you're on a website and you click the little stay logged in button or the little box that says remember me. Or even when you're shopping on a, on like Amazon and you have stuff in your shopping cart, those are all using cookies to keep track of that. And generally, they're safe. Um, oftentimes, they're helpful. They help, they help with the convenience. Um, but there are downsides to them. A lot of them are used for advertising practices. They track your usage. Um, and sometimes malicious software can get on your computer and use that information against you. So in general, they're, they're safe to enable. They're safe to allow. But if you're concerned about it, again, if you, if you want less risk, you can certainly decline those. You can disable them. Okay. Most of your browsers will have a security setting where you can clear them out. You can get other software that will, will go through and clean those out on your computers if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, All right. Here's another question, Ben. So let's say I'm in a coffee shop back in older days when you could be in coffee shops and you go on the days, their, huh? their public Wi-Fi. And then mm-hmm. I've heard that you shouldn't use public Wi-Fi unless you're using a personal VPN. What in the world does that mean? Yeah, so public Wi-Fis are, are tend to be hotspots for uh, malicious people to try to get access to information. Um, a personal VPN is a service you can sign up for, and what it does is it encrypts the traffic. It protects it. Okay. It, it kind of locks it up in a digital protected tunnel and between your computer and that service. And that can help you browse a little bit more safely if you're in a public area like a coffee shop or an airport. Um, oftentimes, however, if if you're on a website that is secured with a certificate or if, if you ever look up at that address bar at the top of your browser and you see the HTTPS colon backslash backslash, mm-hmm. that indicates that there is um, some security built into that web page already. And so that there's a little less risk to those sites. But again, if you're talking convenience versus risk, it's convenient to just go to the websites when you're at those locations, but you reduce your risk, and it's a little less convenient, but you reduce your risk by signing up for one of those VPN services and then turning that on whenever you're at a, a coffee shop or an airport or another public Wi-Fi area. Mm-hmm. A listener just jumped in. Would you say more about password-saving place storage? Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like when I save a password, it's going to be in my little uh, keychain part of my folder on some application hidden in some other place where I can eventually go find it if I need it. <laughs> Correct. Yep. Some browsers will give you the option to save this password, um, which is generally safe. Um, but there are other services like uh, I like to use one called LastPass. There's another one called KeePass. If you search for those on Google, you'll get You'll get right to the right website, but those are secured encrypted services or applications where you can enter in passwords and, and links to different websites. And some of those may have a browser extension that when you go to that website, it'll automatically pop that username and password in there for you. And they, again, these days, you've probably got dozens and dozens of logins and usernames and passwords and um, keeping track of all that it can get a little challenging. And one of the password safes out there can really help you keep track of everything. I like that. All right, uh, Ben, if you would talk about uh, what a f- what phishing is or what smishing is or both of them. Sure. 
fishing, smishing, vishing, other ishing words. Yeah, anything like they're that. All, really good. They're all different forms of what's known as social engineering. And ultimately, it's, it's using different methods to trick you into providing information that you really shouldn't be providing. Or it might be tricking you to download some malicious software on your computer. And ultimately, it's all to gain access to your information. So phishing is when it's done via email. Smishing is when it's done via text message. Vishing is when it's done via the phone. Um, things to look out for, especially if, if you get an email for something that seems too good to be true, if you get an email or a phone call that you're really not expecting, it's out of, out of the blue, seems a little odd, you know, trust your gut instinct on a bunch of those. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if it seems out of the ordinary or, you know, let's say you get an email from your bank and it, it looks a little odd from other emails you've gotten from your bank. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the ones to be really, really aware of and be really skeptical about, um, especially with, with emails. You know, if you get an email and it says, click this link, you know, usually you can hover your mouse over that email, that link. Mm-hmm. And in the bottom left corner, it'll usually show you exactly what that, what that URL is, where it's actually going to take you. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't look like what you're expecting it to be, you know, that's when it's probably safer to delete it. Yeah. A couple other things to be really aware of, especially now that we're, we're coming into tax season. Um, this is where we start to see more calls or emails from the IRS. The IRS doesn't Did you just make air quotes? I did. Okay. <laughs> I did. Uh, I thought you did. You I, saw, I saw air quotes. Um, the IRS doesn't call and email you. So if you get a call that says, I'm from the IRS and I need you to verify some personal information, chances are that's not legit and you should hang up on them. Other times, if you get a call and they say they're from your bank or another company that you trust, you know, it's okay to say, hey, I don't know that I trust this. I'm going to call you back and you can hang up and you can you can look up the phone number that you know or trust from the internet or your Rolodex or your phone or wherever you have it and, and call them back and, and verify from them, like, did somebody just try to call me? And if so, can you connect me back to them? And that's a good way to kind of verify that those calls are are actually legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of questions are rolling in here, Ben. Uh, how do I check what security I have on my computer, and why do I get emails that say my security software has expired? The emails are in my junk mail. Mm-hmm. So most common security software you might have is going to be an antivirus program. Yep. Um, a lot of computers will ship with them. Uh, some of them will have some sort of paid subscription. A lot of times, especially if you buy a brand new computer, sometimes those will come with like a trial version of it where it's only a three-month trial maybe. And some of those, if you did sign up and pay for an antivirus program, you know, maybe it's one of the new yearly subscriptions that has now expired. Um, maybe it's the trial that was signed up for when you bought the new computer that now expired. You know, there's a lot of different options for antivirus software. Um, there's a lot of good free options. Um, actually, the the built-in um, antivirus that comes with Windows these days is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. But there are, you know, dozens of other security software that's available for your computer. Um, you know, we could probably talk for hours and hours about uh, the good ones. But if you're concerned about it... Um, you should be able to open up whatever antivirus program you have installed on your computer, and that window should show you right away if it's 
has an issue, if the subscription has expired, if if there's another problem for it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily trust the email itself because again, that's another way to uh, fish you for information. If if you get an email that says your antivirus expired, enter in your credit card information here. Uh, that's one I would be skeptical about, and that's where I would try to find the actual program on my computer itself and just verify that uh, before I responded to any emails or, or contacted any companies yeah. about it. Which raises a great question, Ben, and I think what we'll do is we will address it when we come back from break. And the question is, what should you never do online when you talk about you know giving filling in your, your credit card information in response to something like that? That's for certain a no-no, but I want to find out what else you should never do online, okay? Uh, ben mm-hmm. Paulson is my guest, an IT expert, and if you want to ask a question to Ben, I'll do it on your behalf. Send me a text, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. You're listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome back to the show. I've got Ben Paulson, an IT expert, director of enterprise infrastructure and end user support right here at the University of Northwestern. During the break, I just booked him to a five-year deal. So I think there's a lot of questions, Ben, that still need to be answered. Let me ask you this. You you go to a web page, and by the simple... uh, uh, by simply landing on a web page, are you at risk that because of the ads that are on that web page, whether you click on them or not, could somehow get into your system? Generally, generally you're safe. Okay. Uh, for most of the websites that most of us visit, just visiting the website on its own is generally going to be safe. Uh, a lot of the malware that you'll get on your computer is based off of an action where you click on a link, whether it's in an email or on a website. Usually it's the act of clicking on something that then triggers that download to your computer, which then lets the malware run free. Um, that said, there there are definitely websites out there that just logging onto the page will trigger a download, and that's why having that antivirus software on your computer is, is really important. But for most of the time, for most of the websites you're you're visiting on your day-to-day basis, you're generally safe um, as long as you don't click the things that you're not familiar with, you don't trust, look a little uh, inconsistent or, or look concerning to you. Mm-hmm. Ben, how about two-step authentication? Worth it or, or an extra step you don't need? Uh, that is one that it is, it is worth every penny, and since it's almost always free, it's twice worth it. Um, like I said before, passwords are kind of the first line of defense, and that's based on information you know. Whereas that second factor authentication, or two factor authentication, or 2FA, that is based on something that you have, which commonly will be your cell phone, where there might be a, an app on your smartphone or maybe a text message to your smartphone. And with two factor authentication enabled, even if somebody gets access to your password, if they try to log into a, a website that has two-factor authentication enabled, it's going to trigger a code to be sent to your device. And if they don't have your device, they won't be able to get that code and enter it in and then actually get into your account. So two-factor authentication is something you should all enable everywhere it's available. Okay. Again, it's, it's, it's again, the risk versus convenience. It, it's a step back from convenience because it's one extra thing you have to do, but it significantly reduces your risk. Mm-hmm. 
Should we be nervous about smart TVs and some of the technology that's involved with smart TVs? I think a healthy dose of skepticism is good. Okay. Um, especially where, again, back to related to cookies, there's a lot of things that are driven by advertisers' advertisers' desire to know what their consumers are doing. Mm-hmm. And so some smart TVs are looking at ways to track what apps you're using on your smart TV or what you're watching or how long you're watching. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, where you where you feel or where you stand on, on how advertisers use that information is it's kind of up to you and where your personal convictions are at. But it's I think it's good for everybody to at least understand what's happening in the background. And if you are concerned about it, there are almost always settings available on your smart devices where you can take steps to disable that activity. Mm-hmm. Ben, what is the dark web? The dark web. So the dark web or the deep web is generally, it's parts of the internet, web pages that are not indexed by search engines like Google. And so it's a little bit harder to find. Um, some of it is even more protective, especially when you get into the 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 dark web where they're intentionally hidden and have restricted access and you have to use special software to access some of the sites that are in those locations. Um, You know, deep web on its own is not necessarily a concerning thing. However, it is frequently where some of the digital black market um, uh, transactions and uh, stores tend to pop up. And that's where, you know, people starting to deal in, you know, whether it's drugs or stealing information or, or dealing in that sort of activity, um, that that's what's kind of making it in the news these days regarding the dark web. And that is some activity that's in there because it's it's hard for law enforcement to find them. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, favor some of the security programs that are out? I mean, you can hear ads all day long of how some guy's going to hack into your account and he's going to steal the title on your house and then you're going to be living in a cardboard box. You know, what? what do you think <laughs> about some of that stuff? I think some of those are, while they might be highlighting a very real scenarios, mm-hmm. and I think that they are, you know, ultimately trying to heighten our awareness about these things. Some of them go a little over the top and, and maybe introduce some fear tactics. But mm-hmm. in general, I think, you know, as we're now living in the digital age, when so much of our life is happening in online websites and social media, I think it's good to have, again, a, a healthy dose of skepticism and and a good understanding of, of what you're doing online and how you're doing it, ultimately to try to protect your information as much as possible. Mm-hmm. What is the safest way to purchase something online? <laughs> um, go to the store itself. <laughs> <laughs> That's the safest it's, way for sure. You know, I, I I don't know if browsing by faith is taking it too far, but you know, there is a certain amount of trust that you need to have for the online store that you're shopping at. Mm-hmm. You know, there are certain stores like Amazon that they're they're big and they're very well known. You know, there you can be reasonably sure you're going to be safe. Mm-hmm. You know, even Target or Walmart, you're reasonably sure you can be safe there. Um, once you start getting down the list to the more obscure stores where maybe the company that's running the store doesn't have quite the same financial resources to go through the effort to protect that information that they have, you know, those maybe you have a healthier sense of skepticism, but maybe not. It's kind of a personal conviction thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in general, again, if you're if you have a healthy trust of who you're shopping at, um, then you 
you can reasonably shape shop safely without too much concern. Mm-hmm. And Ben, do you do you encourage us to have a different password for each um, website that we go on and, and sign up for? Um, or do we need to pay particular attention to financial institutions and shopping places that we use frequently? Should we have definitely have different passwords for all that and change them, what, every six months, every year? So definitely having different passwords is a good thing. Um, as many as possible, as often as possible, especially when you're dealing with websites where you have a lot of really private information like your bank or other financial institutions, um, it's good to have different passwords for those just because especially if you don't have two-factor authentication enabled, if you have a different password, if somebody does manage to get your password somehow, then they only have the one password and not the password to everything. So again, having multiple passwords and different passwords for different sites is good. That's where having a password safe is good to keep track of all of those different passwords. Mm -hmm. Um, Appreciate that. Um, a listener said, on Sunday on the way home from church, I Googled a couple of verses and sites. Uh, none came up. Each came with a message that IP address needed to be verified. This has not happened before. I have an iPhone. That sounds like a very interesting situation. Um, and it, it could be a, a matter of where you were browsing from. You know, if you were in the car and traveling along the countryside it's it, it's possible that the website itself um, was looking for IP addresses it's not expecting. Okay. So every device has an IP address. I'll try not to get into too many of the details, but a lot of uh, a lot of companies that run websites are are taking steps to protect their services. And one of those things that they can do is to use some use a system that basically verifies IP addresses before it lets you actually connect. And sometimes you run into addresses it doesn't expect. Mm -hmm. And that that could very well be it. Yeah. Ben, two listeners back-to-back, uh, -back, Joseph, asked me, is purchasing safe with PayPal? Generally speaking, yes. As I'd say as safe as um, any other online website. Um, PayPal is, they're a very large company. They've they invest a lot of money in protecting their users' financial information. Um, I am not aware of any specific uh, issues or, or anything that would prevent me from trusting PayPal. Mm -hmm. um, so I think PayPal in general is safe. Now, that said, PayPal is one of those services where there's some more directness in who you're, who you're sending money to. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of those, along with several of the other payment apps that are popping up now, if you're, you know, buying something from Facebook Marketplace or buying something from Craigslist where you're you're sending money directly to another person, that's one of those where you want to maybe take some extra steps to verify that the person you're sending the money to is really who they say they are. You know, whether you call them on the phone ahead of time and verify the information or or message them somehow ahead of time just to verify that that they are who they say they are and you got the address right so you're sending your money to the right spot. Mm -hmm. All right, Ben, we just got a uh, two minutes left. So maybe in conclusion, you can just summarize what you should never do online. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the big one, the really big one overall that encompasses a lot of cybersecurity is just be really, really particular about providing any information, especially your private and protected information like credit card numbers, social security numbers, birth dates, to, any, to anyone or any website that you don't trust. 
you know if, if there's a inherent amount of trust in where you're where you're sending it you know that's okay but if for some reason you don't trust it i would hesitate to send any information to there you know the the other two are again don't use the same password everywhere create unique passwords and another part of that is don't use any really easy to guess passwords. Like don't use your birthday, don't use your anniversary, don't use your your kids' names in a row. Um, <laughs> and and related to that is, you know, in general, I would say just think twice about what you post on social media, whether it's Facebook or, or another social media platform. If you have passwords or if you have, you know, a lot of sites ask you for security questions when you sign up. Mm-hmm. If your password or your security questions use a birth date or your first pet's name or your grandkids' names, and then you're posting all that information on social media with pictures saying, here's my favorite pet and here's my awesome grandkids, you know, there are people out there who will try to, who will try to take that information and then try to use it against you by trying to guess your password with it. Yeah. Yeah. Really helpful. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. This has been uh, quite an education for all of us. Appreciate you very much. No problem. I'm glad to do it. Yeah. Ben Paulson's been my guest, my IT expert. We'll have him back on. I think there's lots more questions still coming in. That's all the time we have for right now. We're going to take a short break. That is going to mean hour two is just ahead. Todd Mulliken is going to be joining me for the whole hour. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.